the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, May 9th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Guys, make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to it. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Also across social medias, follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. Also follow us on our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. We've got a big show today. Lots of guests coming in. Brian Lieb's going to join us. So is Sheriff Mark Lambs. Jim Nell will be here. And Ambassador Jeffrey Ross Gunter as well. Tons of news developing. Title 42's coming to an end. Do the polls lie? Or is there a real message being sent to Joe Biden and Hunter Biden looks to be in more trouble as a likely indictment is coming down on Wednesday? Before we get into any of that, let's take it on over to Penal County. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. Four! Breakfast! So stand by. Joining us first on the show today... Really excited to have him. He's a senatorial candidate in the great state of Arizona. He's also America's sheriff. Mark Lamb, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, man, my pleasure. I love steak, and especially for breakfast, so this is good. Here we are. Lucky to have you. Uh, We know how busy you are. Things are absolutely crazy in the great state of Arizona, but we do want to talk to you about uh, you declaring your nomination to run for the Senate uh, next year in the election. So probably a lot went into making that decision. It's a big job with a big task, but I'm sure you as literally at the tip of the spear in a lot of instances with some of the major problems that are affecting Arizona right now, uh, that probably went into weighing your decision. Can you let our listenership know what kind of was the tipping point that you had to come out and make it official and declare your candidacy for the Senate? You know, initially my wife and I, people kept asking us and my wife and I actually sat down to find a list of reasons why not to do it. (laughs) And in process we started feeling compelled to do it and then we started looking at really what the kitchen table items were for americans and of the biggest issues we're facing like the border and the rule of law and the economy i'm not a wealthy guy so i understand how the economy affects the average person and so when we started looking at all these things um we just started feeling even more and more compelled to do it and realizing as we looked at the landscape of the candidates in arizona that Arizona needs a proven conservative fighter. I've been doing this for seven years now as a sheriff. I've won a couple elections. We've uh, we've had to stand up for some things when it wasn't easy. And so uh, I just, like I always use this as an example. If your house is on fire and there's uh, thieves in your house, which there are, or there's uh, you have a domestic situation where mom and dad can't get along, who do you call? You don't call a politician. You call your sheriff because we're experienced and qualified to come in and restore balance and order in chaos. And so we're going to hopefully restore some balance and order, not just in Arizona, but hopefully do something across this country and uh, try to get on top of these issues we're dealing with. Now, when you are out there every day talking with the people, uh, there has been such a downturn in this country over the last couple decades in regards to law enforcement and the general public. It seems like, you know, there have been so many presidents, except maybe one, who really wanted to drive a wedge between law and order and, and what the rule of law is, you know, in the streets of America. You probably see it every day when you turn on you know, your TV, Sheriff, and then you probably see it when you go down to the station and get in your car and go out and answer calls. 
what is it that the American people need right now in someone with such a robust background, especially that in law enforcement, as far as like being a representative that can take that mentality over to Capitol Hill and start to like, you know, reestablish the relationship with the American public again, that we need law and order in this country to be a productive, you know, brightest beacon of a nation on the planet. Well, our politicians think they are much more important to the people than their actual rule of law is. Yeah. And uh, I got into being the sheriff because during the Obama and the Biden administration, I saw how they were undermining the rule of law. And uh, because of that, I started laying the groundwork to run for sheriff and ended up running for sheriff and, and was successful and won. This country, the strength that we have in this country is built on the rule of law. Uh, the, the preamble to the Constitution says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. It was the very first charge of the Constitution was to establish justice. A couple of years ago, when uh, Joe Biden was campaigning, he said he wanted to reinvent America. I don't know about anybody else, but that set off alarms in my head. Yeah. And what I wanted to do was say, that means you're going to tear away at the rule of law. And I was not going to allow that to happen. And so... Um, not only do I continue as a sheriff, but also I've now realized that a lot of these issues are not going to be dealt with on a local and a county level, that I've got to take that fight to Washington, D.C. And we need somebody in Washington, D.C. that understands the importance of the rule of law, that understand what it means to America and the strength of America. It's the backbone, and we've got to protect. Yeah, I do want to stick in the thread of, of Joe Biden and his campaign promise to basically reinvent the country. In just a few days here, Sheriff, this is something that directly affects, you know, the entire country, but more specifically states along the U.S. southern border. We're going to see Title 42 expire. Arizona has been one of the hardest hit states. They, the numbers that they've seen are greater numbers than they've ever seen before. This has contributed to negatively affecting everything from, you know, the way mothers are able to give births in their local hospitals close to the border, the economy, jobs numbers, wages, children's education homelessness, the drug epidemic, and crime. Um, you know, so as a sheriff, anything that happens down on the border in Arizona directly affects not only the safety of your community and your family, but your living, your job. When you see this is about to happen and how unprepared this administration has been to take on the border crisis since day one and how they've let this unravel, what can you tell our listenership that things are really going to look like on the ground in a few days? Well, it's been a disaster for the last two years. Our percentages of the, we've had a 600% increase in fentanyl seizures, a 461% increase in the last two years of pursuits involving human smuggling. And I'm not even a border county. This is what I do. So this has been an issue for a long time. It's been an invasion. And I'm glad that the media in America is picking up on it now because of Title 42. I expect it to get much worse over the next uh, little while. But it goes back to the rule of law. We were talking about how they undermine the rule of law. What better way to do it than right down on the border? I just heard from a Border Patrol agent. They dropped off a thousand people in yesterday. Brazilians, um, people from India, Africa, all sorts of different places. None of them were from Mexico. Uh, now they're just releasing them into our communities. And this is going to have a major impact on America. Because if you're naive enough to think that everybody that's coming to this country loves America, you're kidding yourself. Many of these people would, would do harm to us in a second if they could. You know, when you see the, the people up on Capitol Hill, obviously we won back a small majority in, in the House last year, and they're actually making some waves. The most recent one was getting that uh, bill passed for the debt ceiling. But when you talk about uh, your 
possible future congressional counterparts, do you think there's enough people with America first, you know, safety and security of our country in mind in the Senate that you would be potentially able to work with to the biggest thing that Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden already says is we're just doing the best we can to manage an already broken system. So when you want to talk about border security, sure, we can get that legislation passed with a Republican president in 2025, but do you think the Senate could then work to fix the immigration system? Because obviously now we're going to be close to 10 million people just let into the country by the time the election comes around next fall. And what what are we going to do? Are we all just going to give them pathways to citizenship, or are we going to start to, to mitigate their cases and see who should be here and who should not? Do you think there's a possibility of being able to work with Congress to get the immigration system back on track? I do, but I mean, I think the track record has shown that neither party has been willing to uh, fix this immigration issue. I recently testified in Congress, and uh, one of the Democrat uh, congressional people was asking me some questions, and I said, listen, the Democrats had control of Congress, Senate, and the presidency. You shoved a lot of stuff down our throats over the last two years, but immigration reform was not one of them. Um, if really did care about immigration, they should have fixed that issue. And the Republicans, likewise, many years ago, they had uh, the stack, the deck stacked for them. So we've got to stop using this as a political talking point, And we've actually got to fix the immigration issue. And then we've got to secure our border. We've got to secure our border first and foremost. And then start talking about fixing the immigration system. I know that doesn't answer the question. The the answer is, yes, I think that we can. With with good leadership, somebody that's willing, that knows what's going on, that's willing to stand up, regardless of the pressure that the uh, politics in Washington try to put on you, stand up for what's right. I think you could get enough people together to, to do something about it. Yeah, that's a, definitely a good optimistic way of looking at it. We hope that there's enough good candidates in this next election cycle. There's some easily defendable seats, but places like Arizona, obviously West Virginia is looking to flip as well. And, uh, you know, a couple other states that we're looking to get some more people with America first in, in mind, like you, Sheriff, than, than we have up there currently. So h- how what coming down the road right now are you doing in regards to uh, your campaign? Obviously, you're, you're working right now. You're doing an interview with us, it looks like, from your car. Uh, you got the body armor on and everything. But, you know, as far as getting out and meeting the people, are you setting up, like, town halls, meet and greets, and, and fundraising events and stuff like that? Yep, we're doing a lot of, uh, honestly, a lot of smaller fundraising events. Um, I'm still out speaking all sorts of different places. But uh, really, it's all about fundraising. We're trying to have a good quarter this quarter. And uh, that, I think, is going to dictate, you know, how the race goes. And so uh, hopefully people will come support us, SheriffLamForSenate.com. That's SheriffLamForSenate.com. Donate today. The problem is, is we're losing a lot of offices across this country because the Democrats are machine on fundraising. Yeah. They one candidate. They, they are lockstep. And uh, we don't do that on the Republican side. And we're getting out fundraised four or five to one. And then we wonder why we're losing seats. You know, we've got to have everybody step up. Like I said the other day in a video, don't wait till the day after the election to wish you would have cut a check. Um, if you don't take the time, to, it, whether it's 20 bucks, 40 bucks, 6,600, which is the maximum for one person, <laughs> uh, we'll take it all because we've got to take Arizona back. And frankly, the Senate is probably going to go through Arizona taking the Senate back. And the presidency is likely going to be uh, dictated by what happens here in Arizona. So please come support me, whatever you can, sign my petition, get me on the ballot, and uh, let's take Arizona back. And that's really what we're focused on this quarter is fundraising. That's it right there. You know, Noah and I have seen the sheriff speak uh, publicly. We've also covered his 
testimony up on Capitol Hill as well on the show. We're thankful to sit down with you today, Sheriff. We're going to live link your senatorial uh, website in the show description today, like you already mentioned. But for anyone that's not following you on social media and wants to keep tracking all the good stuff and maybe get involved with the campaign and show up at events, what's your social media handle? So you can follow me at American Sheriff on Instagram, Sheriff Lamb on Facebook, Sheriff Lamb One on Twitter, and American Sheriff on Truth Social. Um, please come follow me. We're just going to be keeping you track on what we're doing, and uh, and we're going to just. Here's what I want in the end. I want to gain. I want to get the vote of the people of Arizona. I don't want to be like the most politicians where you want to be the lesser of two evils. I actually want people to be excited to vote for me. Um, people that will want to show up when they get their ballot, they want to fill in that bubble and send it back in. I want people to vote for Sheriff Lamb for Senate. I like that angle, and we like sitting down with you today, Sheriff. We'll be looking forward to having you back on the show again soon. This is Penal County Sheriff and Republican candidate for the United States Senate in the great state of Arizona. Sheriff Mark Lamb, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was great sitting down with uh, Sheriff Mark Lamb for the first time. Noah, what do you think? I like that guy. He's out there working hard. Like we mentioned in the interview, he's a guy sitting in his work truck and uh, getting ready to hit the road and respond to calls and, and worrying about all the stuff that's going on in Arizona, which is going to be the focus of our first news segment today. You know, With Title 42 expiring in about 48 hours, I think we really need to sit back and... Uh, Wait for the shit show? That too. Just really kind of try to visualize how bad this is going to be. I mean, everything from the horse whippings to the guys getting pepper ball, trying to cross uh, the river to people drowning and then thousands. Well, the horse whipping was debunked. Sure was. Uh, we're going to get to him in a second as well. But, uh, you know, just the ramifications of what this means for the country. By the time we go to the ballot box in November of 2024, there's going to be in excess of 10 million people who have just been blindly released into the United States. And, and you can't really compensate for that kind of a burden on all these communities across the country. Um, it's, it's really a sad thing to see how, but listen, we have to go back to the receipts. So, you know, I want to take it back to the 2020 presidential election cycle. Uh, we, we all saw this coming and have called it, but no one who has more authority to do anything about it than Joe Biden, when he was on the debate stage in the Democrat primary, uh, let's hear him. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. To say the least. Mm. And then, uh, you know, piggybacking off of that, the Department of Homeland Security chief was near the border this weekend, and he provided some of the same commentary. Let's hear him. Is our border secure? Our border is secure. Border is secure because we are maximizing our resources to deliver the most effective results to our border with the most extraordinary workforce in the world. What are the, what are the results? Can't say. Processing so, and handing out more juice boxes than anywhere in the fucking world. We've even ran out of bus tickets at this point. That, well, that's why they're always going to be meet the fake press, Noah. And, you know, it... it what, what can you say to this? There, there's just so many contributing factors over the course of the last several decades, which include two amnesties that have enticed people to come here. Now, we did the best thing we could to quell this uh, during the Trump administration. But listen, in Donald Trump's four years, minus the two with COVID, the border was operationally secure. Drug uh, interdictions were at an all-time low. So was human trafficking. Yeah, everybody we've talked to that, that worked in that uh, division of the border, whatever uh, whatever type of apparatus 
they were they were installed in said that it was the best that's ever been during the Trump era. It certainly was. And uh, even though we did see one year of close to half a million bodies encountered, the amount of people going back home was unmatched. Or waiting in Mexico. True story. Um, Democrat House Minority Leader in title only. We always like to remind people that. Hakeem Jeffries gave a statement this morning talking about the awesome leadership in regards to the border. Let's hear him kind of continue to lie for the regime. The uh, Title 42 is going to end this week. Do you believe the administration is prepared for what's coming to the border? I do believe the administration is prepared. I know Secretary, Secretary Mayorkas uh, was down at the border this week. Steps are being taken uh, to make sure that there is order at the border. Order at the border. Order at the border. Ugly. It's embarrassing. Uh, and, and what the American public is in for is something like they've never seen before. You know, they see, what do they call it, surges, rushes. There's been instances of, I wouldn't say top tier like summer of love, but minor violence. And uh, right now, we're just waiting to open up the floodgates. I, I shared on our social media like some video that was released yesterday in the city of Juarez, which is about a 15-minute walk uh, to El Paso, Texas. There's 700,000 people there waiting to hear the call that Title 42 is officially expired, and they're all going to be walking across at the same time. Uh, the, and within the first 48 hours, we could see up to, and I wouldn't be surprised if in excess of 1.3 million people total across all the border states. Yeah, I kind of missed that third country rule thing that we were doing for a little while there. That's or it. did we ever do that? They, they kind of blocked it in court, the whole, the whole deal. We did talk about it a lot, though. And, and you know, you, you really have to give credit where credit is due. And, and up to this point, you have to give some credit to the Supreme Court who actually, you know, babysat this Trump-era policy, which was revived during COVID for the last six months. They did, in fact, reject Alejandro Mayorkas's last attempt at a plan, which was a six-point plan that involved nothing to do with safety, security, border walls, and people going back south. Uh, it just meant processing, processing, and uh, I, uh, I don't have the data. Oh. Yeah, so that's kind of where we're at now. But like the Supreme Court said in their last brief in a ruling on Title 42, it is not their job to babysit, number one, the administration and the president of the United States, even though we all know he needs them and, and number two policies that the administration is either willing to or not enforce and, and the supreme court basically said and i'm paraphrasing here you have six months to figure it out and then this will be your baby so it's going to be a bouncing baby 1.3 million flood of migrants in just 48 hours now for a lot of our southern states across the u.s southern border and really now that title 42 is gone that third country rule would be a very important uh way to to slow the flow i mean if you were able to come directly to the United States, then there would be no third country. I like to call the third country rule the "you touched it last." That's it rule. And uh, you know, and if you show up somewhere else and you're not afraid of being in that place, then by all means, you should probably claim asylum there. I like that. Um, so Fox News had some drones out working this weekend, as we've probably saw. Wait, Fox News is allowed to have drones, but the Border Patrol isn't. Apparently not. What the hell is that? They're not allowed to have their spy balloons either. <laughs> so we might mistake them for a Hobby Lobby enthusiast. But, uh, yeah, th there's a pretty long line already forming uh, along the border of Texas. Let's hear what they were talking about. Look at this drone video also from El Paso. What you're going to see 
is another group of migrants who have crossed illegally and they are not waiting for Border Patrol to take them. These become evaders and gotaways. They start walking down a dirt path in an effort to get further into the United States. You'll see they eventually walk near Interstate 10 in El Paso, but it's a couple dozen of them. Uh, they're not turning themselves in. They just want to get into the country. They have no interest in getting processed by Border Patrol. And border agents have been dealing with this in El Paso. So many of them are pulled off the front line dealing with these large groups. There aren't always agents on hand to apprehend these folks, and they sometimes become gotaways if they are not captured. And back out here live, the number of gotaways at our southern border is shooting through the roof. Border Patrol says last week alone, there were more than 18,600 known gotaways at our border. That's almost 19,000 people who snuck into the United States successfully in a single week. Hmm. Notice the keyword there was known gotaways. Yeah. You can only hypothesize that that number is well over 20,000. And, you know, it's just absolutely bonkers what you know our immigration system which everybody who holds the office of president and all the surrogates below them in cabinet seats will say is broken uh which may or may not be true the fact of the matter is it's just been so used and abused it's like you know i guess the truck stop hooker version of american policies you just <laughs> lot lizards <laughs> yes oh. so which is something you might see more frequently as you get closer and closer to the southern border lot lizards yeah yeah, I guess that's true. It is warmer. Um, you know, we're going to be sitting down with former ambassador to Iceland. Basking in the sun. Jeffrey Ross Gunter in uh, just a few minutes, and he's going to elaborate on some of the uh, Title 42-edness, and it's now soon-to-be-disappearing act. Um, but, you know, Fox was also out uh, talking with people who live in places like El Paso, Texas over the weekend and uh, asking them about how great of a job they think DHS Secretary Andre Mayorkas is doing. And they ran into one gal who wasn't too happy with his job <laughs> performance thus far. Let's hear from her. Had you had an opportunity to speak directly to Secretary Mayorkas, what would you have said to him? Spit in his face. Oh, that's a really good question. Damn um, it. I would ask him if he even cares about us. Because I have to take my son to school, mm. um, who, who's his school is kind of in the middle of this, and it's it's cruel to not have a plan in place for all of the people you're supposed to represent and then yet you're bringing thousands more over and then you have the audacity to lie to the american people about it who are having to live in this daily it's unacceptable he keeps talking about humanity and being compassionate and cutting out the cartel and it's just lip service Imagine that. Wow. Seems like the American public, especially the ones who live in border communities, are getting a little bit more now. I would ask her how she really feels, but I'm pretty sure that was it. <laughs> I'm going to go with spit in the face, too. Yeah. Um, in a nice way. Yeah. So, and we just saw this week, you know, that, that incident that happened in Texas over the weekend where migrants were released. They got dropped off or walked to a bus stop and they were waiting for transportation. And someone who was apparently under the influence because to this point and during his first arraignment, he was charged with counts of manslaughter, not murder. So it doesn't look like it was intentional, but someone with a long criminal record who was recklessly driving drove over an entire line of migrants waiting to get bussed north into the country. And I believe eight of them died. The video was awful. People were literally sawed in half by this car. Uh, I saw the one guy trying to put his own intestines back in like all the good 80 sci-fi movies. And, uh, there was a guy who was laying on the ground. He was face down, and then his brains were about 10 yards <laughs> south of where he had been sitting. But this is some of the stuff that they're running into. You know, you, you have 
regular instances of life that happen, let's just say a reckless driver, someone driving under the influence and, and in a normal situation where there wouldn't be dozens of migrants waiting like basically in like the shoulder of the street because the bus stop right there is so overpacked with people that they wound up getting hit by someone. And uh, if our borders were secure and all these migrants weren't being blindly released to the interior of the country, you wouldn't be seeing instances like that. So that was pretty wild. No, you see any of that video? Yeah. Was, <laughs> Gruesome to say the least. Yeah. And I do want to talk about some of the things that, uh, you know, have been going, because listen, the brave men and women who secure our border within the border patrol and, and stuff like that, ICE and customs, they, they are still working hard, even though there are so few of them on the front lines right now actually doing anything enforcement related. But I did see Chief Ortiz who admitted that the border wasn't secure, but also backtrack and said Mayorkas shouldn't be impeached. He put out a tweet yesterday that said just over the past 72 hours. So this is since Friday afternoon, there have been. 26,382 apprehensions, 7,300 known gotaways, but they've also interdicted 200 pounds of marijuana, 83 pounds of meth, 66 pounds of cocaine, 11 pounds of fentanyl, 5 pounds of heroin. They've seized almost $13,000, recovered a stolen firearm, interdicted three sex offenders, one wanted felon, and one confirmed gang member. So, but, But these are the things, that amount of drugs... And humans encountered, in addition to all the people with criminality attached to their uh, longstanding records as upstanding citizens, mm. means that, you know, the, the men and women of the Border Patrol and, and uh, likewise agencies are running into some real hairy suspects lately. And I'm not talking about ones that need the nair. I'm talking about the ones that uh, probably would like to tango if they were out in the middle of nowhere together. A healthy mustache? Yes. So... Got to watch out for these people because, uh, you know, there's been so many assaults and, and things re- regarding that. And it's just, it's wild. So, you know, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, he's uh, kind of doing his own thing to just slide in under the radar of getting the America First crowd mad. We're going to talk about that in just a sec. But before we do, guys, wherever you're listening to the podcast today, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the show. It helps us out in the algorithms. Also across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find Steak for Breakfast Podcast. Follow it. Hit the notification bell. And then anytime we do anything that we've got going on with the show here, the information will be, the newest episodes will be directly delivered to you. So KGP took to the podium yesterday. She's had a rough couple of days. No, you can only imagine. She's had a rough couple of years. And believe it or not, well, I'm sure you could believe it by this point. She she did say House Republicans were cutting Border Patrol jobs last week and didn't want the border secure. Yesterday, she decided to say that Greg Abbott is contributing to the border crisis and making it worse than it already is. Let's so, see. Which is it? Let's hear her. Uh, Governor Abbott announced just a little while ago he's sending another 450 National Guard to the border. Um, he said some pretty tough words for the president. He calls it a Biden-made crisis. Um, he said the cartels are working in collaboration with the president and the federal government to facilitate illegal border crossings. And Governor Abbott said, quote, we are being overrun by our own federal government. Texas is being undermined by our own federal government in our efforts to secure our border. So, uh, you know, there's a way to handle those type of announcements. And the governor knows this. Uh, and, and in order to be helpful to what's happening, and that's by coordinating with federal uh, authorities, something that he refuses to do, something that he doesn't do. Uh, but, you know, his first call always tends to be when it comes to this issue uh, is uh, has been uh, when it comes to this issue dealing with the federal government has been to Fox News. Which is that's what he does. 
That's where his first call goes. Okay. That's where he likes. To, that's how that tells you what he's up to. Uh, this is uh, just about political theater for him. This is not really dealing with this issue. Uh, it's about creating more chaos. It's about creating more confusion at the border. That's what he wants to do. That's what he chooses to do. Uh, that's not what we want to do. We're, we're, do, we're you, we are uh, huh? put into place a robust Ooh. plan, multiple, multiple agencies. Ooh. You've seen Mayorkas on the border very recently. Mm. He was on Sunday's show uh, just this Sunday the fake uh, press. to talk about Sunday? Uh, what we're doing. The DHS has been very clear. Uh, the State Department has, has had uh, press conferences. Uh, the Pentagon briefed on this just last week. We are using the tools that we have in front of us to deal with this issue. Republican officials want to do something else. They want to campaign on this issue. Uh, they want to do political stunts. That's what we're seeing from the governor, uh, governor of Texas. Hmm. Political stunts. So because the governor of Texas refuses to secure the border. <laughs> right. Refuses to work directly with federal law enforcement agencies, which means what she's saying is, just so everybody can understand this, what they want is Greg Abbott to use his resources. That's Texas National Guard, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, and Texas DPS to apprehend all these people coming in. And then instead of doing anything, they just want them to turn them over to Department of Homeland Security so they can process them and release them as fast as possible. And Greg Abbott has refused to do that because what it does is it puts people whose job responsibilities don't fall within the scope of doing that, and it puts their lives in danger. Mm -hmm. Whether you're experiencing violence, whether you're experiencing exposure to diseases of the third world, or anything else, the more you go outside of the scope of your job uh, capabilities and what your responsibilities are in law enforcement, the more you put yourself in a situation to where you could either get in trouble or get yourself or other people hurt. And uh, I'm pretty sure that the Texas DPS and the Armored Corps of Engineers, when they're going up through their trainings to become whatever position they're in, don't go through processing illegal immigrants potential uh, threats to the United States, uh, people who are dying, kids who are sick. I'm, I'm pretty sure that doesn't fall within the scope of their job responsibilities. Yeah, so. It doesn't sound like something that would just come up. Like, here's here's what you do in case you need to hand out juice boxes for 18 hours a day. But don't worry. If you're signing up for the military right now, they'll have some tranny tell you that it's all fine and good and just watch them wave their wang around a little bit. But we'll touch on that a little bit later when we're going to have uh, Jim Nels on the show. Is that a, you're talking about a designer purse or mm. – Kind of like the Michelle Obama thing. Mm. Texas Governor Greg Abbott sat down with Fox News Sunday, and, and he wanted to talk about exactly what was going on down on the border, and he doesn't give a crap what KJP or the Biden administration uh, says their stances on it or what they feel like he's doing in his job responsibilities. Let's hear him. What we are doing is we are deploying today a, a new Texas tactical border force uh, made up of elite National Guard who are specifically trained for one thing, uh, and that is to identify areas uh, where illegal immigrants are trying to cross the border and to fill that gap and to repel them, to deny them access to entry into the United States. They can do it one of several ways. Uh, they can physically turn back uh, those who are trying to cross the border illegally. Ooh. Also, they were building uh, immediate concertina wire uh, border barriers that prevent people from coming across the border. You saw an early iteration of this back in December when you saw long lines of people trying to cross into El Paso. Yep. Uh, in a matter of 24 hours, the National Guard built a Constantino wire uh, border barrier and it stopped that inflow immediately. We're using strategies like that up and down the border to identify locations where the cartels are trying to smuggle people across the border and put a stop to it. Well, what do you think? 
instead of using his already standing forces and national guardsmen and women down there, he's actually erected mm. a border control task force that's going to work outside the scope of what the Department of Homeland Security is doing right now to ensure that people just aren't blindly coming across this country and, and sneaking in. I do like uh, the fact that he used the words repel and turn back. And, uh, you know, it's it's something that needs to be done. Listen, governors and, and state legislators uh, in these states, you guys need to take a stand right now because you really don't. For the amount of people that are going to come in, you can't think that there's going to be instances of transmission of disease, instances of crimes and, and things like that. People are going to be desperate. People in El Paso, Texas, even ahead of Title 42 ending right now, are already desperate because they've ran out of food and water. There's no place for them to go to the bathroom. So you really have to take into consideration how dangerous. Wait, there's nowhere to use the bathroom? They just do the San Francisco thing. Well, I don't think they've been here long enough to know that that's okay. But, yes, that's probably what is already happening. It's not even okay in their home country. No, it certainly isn't. Well, I mean, unless I'm not going to say it. Um, <laughs> that's bait, and I'm not going to take it. Oh, there you go. Scissor me timbers. But, listen, as Title 42 is getting ready to come to an end in less than 48 hours now, we're going to be tracking this exclusively. We're going to be leading in with it on our Friday edition of the show. Right now we're getting ready to jump in with former ambassador to Iceland, uh, Jeffrey Ross Gunter. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he was the 24th U.S. Ambassador during the Trump administration to the Republic of Iceland. Very happy to sit down with Jeffrey Ross Gunter again. Ambassador, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, my honor, you guys. I mean, the work that you do on behalf of all of America, especially in these profound times of crisis, is uh, so necessary, so important. And uh, you're, you're, you're the light in the city on the top of the hill. So thank you for all you do. Well, we wanted to hear from you today because we know you've been uh, looking into all things Title 42 lately, the Trump era policy that was brought back to life during the administration and at the height of COVID is set to expire in, in just about 48 hours. And this is going to cause probably one of the biggest humanitarian disasters our country has ever seen, if not the world. What can you tell us about what you're seeing and what are the ramifications about Title 42 going away? Yeah, great question. I mean, first and foremost, we shouldn't forget what uh, President Barack Obama said about our current administration, President Joe Biden. Um, we should never underestimate his ability to, quote, F things up. <laughs> and, uh, and I think, honestly, guys, that's exactly what we're seeing right now. I mean, Title 42 was a smart, effective policy. There's no doubt about it. Building border walls is a smart, effective policy. Stay in Mexico is a smart, effective policy. And what do these guys do? They light the whole immigration situation on fire and then wonder kind of what's going wrong. The risks are really diverse and spread out over many areas. Remember, healthcare is living in a society without crime. 
We all know the crime epidemic that's raging across the country. We have individuals who are not properly vetted, who are sneaking across the border. We know so many innocent people who've been hurt by illegal immigrants. It's uh, the crime is one issue. Secondly is fentanyl. Um, let's compare fentanyl to tuberculosis, which we know many of the illegal immigrants have, those who've not been screened. Because remember, these people are coming from 160 different countries. So if you compare fentanyl, we're talking about 100,000 individuals killed from opioid use, which is being shipped from China to Mexico, assembled in Mexico, and snuck over our border. Talk about a healthcare crisis, over 100,000 Americans killed by this epidemic. It's terrible. And what's contributing to it? A wide open border. Um, it's, uh, it's tragic. And like I said, you know, look at the way they treated so many of our Americans during uh, COVID-19. Nurses who worked as first responders were then let go from the hospitals because they wouldn't give in to an untested vaccine. Uh, military personnel, the same situation, could not proceed with their service to country because they would not agree to an untested or improperly tested vaccine. So you look at all these issues, and now they're just letting floods of people in. The inconsistency is breathtaking. And what they are doing is they are doing politics, and they are hurting the American people. There's casualties associated with it, and it's just plain immoral. They're creating an inhumane situation by a humanitarian disaster. They are greenlighting illegal immigrants to come to America while they have a policy of gaslighting gaslighting america now for all the stuff that we've seen in regards to how bad the situation already is down there i mean for the last couple of weeks just about everybody in the legacy media has been reporting from on the ground in el paso the city is completely overrun uh you know we've seen so many uh people just living on the streets without food without water and without transportation because the bus system that they had in place is completely maxed out just over the course of the first week, there's a potential when you talk about New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, California, 1.3 million people to walk across the border, and now there's nothing to stop them from coming in. Even with the 1,500 active duty uh, troops that are on their way down to the border right now and the already maxed Border Patrol system within DHS, how bad is this situation going to get just when meeting the absolute basic needs? You're talking about food, water, toilet, and transportation for this potential amount of people to come in uh, just, just by the end of the week this week. It, it, it's a tsunami. It's an absolute tsunami. A tsunami of immigration is coming, and President Biden has his head in the sand. And there is no way to uh, underestimate what is going on right now. Those numbers are staggering. Already, they're taxing a healthcare system that already has enough problems taking care of American citizens. Go look at the homelessness in these Democrat-run states and cities. Look at the homelessness in Los Angeles. Look at the homelessness in New York City. Look at it in Chicago. So to think that they're going to take 1.5 more illegal immigrants, it's tragic, it's scary, and it's unforgivable. And again, their response is gaslighting the American public. They have created fires throughout this administration, and then they want credit, or then they try to figure out how to solve those problems, whether it goes from Afghanistan to the situation in the Middle East, to the border, to fentanyl, to COVID, you name it. These guys are great at creating fires and then kind of wondering how to put it out. It's, uh, it's shameful.
Yes. Speaking about guys who know how to create fires. Now we've seen embattled current DHS chief Alejandro Mayorkas in and out of senatorial and uh, house committees over the course of the last six months where he said the border is operationally secure. The definition of that uh, securedness has changed and is constantly evolving. Then he'll fall back on, you know, well, the immigration system's broken, so we're making it as operationally secure and safe as possible within the already broken system. Now we've documented on his show for a long time, his track record of messing up everything from when he was the assistant DHS secretary back to when he ran CIS and was was caught doing pay-per-play visas with people like the uh, at the time New Jersey governor and his basketball team. We had things going on with the Clintons as well. Now he's running the entire apparatus within DHS and deportations are at an all-time high, but still only 4% of the people that are coming into the country are being removed probably for criminality. And, and then when you see the amount of people that are getting ready to come in, this guy has no answers. He's completely inept in the job that he does, but yet we still haven't seen one person from the Biden administration held accountable for anything, whether it be Janet Yellen on the economy, uh, Pete Buttigieg and the uh, travel infrastructure of the United States, which was just hyped up by President Biden over the weekend. And Alejandro Marcos, of course, with his job on the border. What can the American people expect when their government is not only working not for them, but it's literally working against them in instances like what's about to happen when Title 42 expires? Fantastic point. Look at this is just an example of uh, the Obama administration 2.0. There was zero, zero accountability in the Obama administration. No one got fired. No one let go. This is how these guys play politics. And sadly, it's all at the expense of the American people. Um, it's like the Department of uh, Gaslighting, Secretary of Gaslighting. That's all it is. And so many Americans know what gaslighting is. They know when they're being told blatant lies. And that's what's going on here. They're greenlighting illegal immigrants to come in the country to risk their lives, to risk the lives of our brave uh, public servants in Customs and Border Patrol. And then what do they do? They gaslight America. They, uh, they cut their words. They choose their words. They redefine. It's almost like the Clinton years of what is, is. Yeah. And that's, and that's the actual political game they, they play. And it's very sad. And the American people pay the price and the mainstream media go along with it. And we've always talked about what they are creating in our society is a banana republic. And literally, they're doing it right here before our eyes. It's so sad. No, it certainly is. You know, Ambassador, President Trump said just a few days ago in, in a true social post, the state will go down in infamy when Title 42 expires next week. The borders will be completely collapsed and we will be officially a third world nation. A lot of people take that as like kind of cliche or like you even stated, like gaslighting the American public. But when you look at just the ramifications of things that are already being negatively affected by this, you have the healthcare system. We know for a fact because we've talked to people on the ground in Arizona if you live in a border town in Arizona, you have to get bussed or flown to a hospital to deliver children because the NIC units are so overran with immigrant children who are being born and need that health care in hospitals along the U.S. southern border. Wages are driven down by the low-income workers. You have uh, historically low test scores across the country, and that's because a lot of these people, we, we don't think that it can negatively affect the system, but... More people have crossed the border since Joe Biden took office than is the entire population of like 13 states in the United <laughs> States. And, and we see 
record low test scores across the country, especially in uh, literature, reading, and math. And, and when you're taking children from, like, essentially the third world who do not speak English and forcefully infusing them into the education systems and putting them in classes with regular kids, it's going to drive down all the test scores because they can't proficiently pass the test. So you, when you talk about everything from healthcare to the economy and then homelessness and safety and then combine that with the drug epidemic, we've created a situation on here that's about to get drastically worse. Don't you agree? I couldn't agree more. But remember, President Trump speaks the truth. And that's why they attack him so viciously. You can even talk about the importance of him talking about building the wall nearly six years ago. You could talk about how President Trump was the first president to point out the fact that the drug dealings, the drug smugglers, the rape, all the terrible things that were happening to those individuals at the border. That was President Trump. President Trump had three pillars to his brilliant policies to control immigration. And it was pretty obvious, build the wall, stay in Mexico and title 42. All of those work. All those were unbelievable. And what did this current administration do? They again lit a fire to everything and then somehow tried to spin it in such a way that they were going to save the day with this stuff. It's mind boggling. Again, it harkens back to the quote of, uh, President Barack Obama, you never want to et- underestimate how much Joe Biden can F things up. <laughs> <laughs> it re- it's really true. No, it certainly is. And, you know, and, go and just remember, th- there's nothing gaslighting ever about President Trump. He says the truth. You might not want to hear it. You might not want to agree with it. But he is he is so often so right. And that's what bothers them. He's uncorruptible. He cares about one individual, and that is each and every American. And this is a great example. The minute they got rid of Title 42, the tsunami started to get rid of it or started to talk about it. The tsunami started to form out on the horizon with the current administration, the president's head in the sand. I agree. And last thing I want to touch with you on, Ambassador, tomorrow night we're going to see the 45th president of the United States, one who's leading in all the polls right now in his quest to be the 47th president, go into the belly of the beast up in New Hampshire and do a town hall with CNN. Uh, for someone who's still very close to the president and obviously champions all the Trump era policies that was part of the Trump doctrine when he was in office, what can you expect? I mean, I, I really think this is a great play for President Trump to uh, not only, you know, reestablish himself with people that aren't seeing him on a normal basis, unless it's in a hit piece on that network, but to really kind of defend himself and promote a lot of the things that we're, we're going to be able to see uh, as he's already proposed with Agenda 47. Uh, look at the ratings of CNN could not get any lower. <laughs> they understand that President Trump speaking the truth because to President Trump, truth matters. It's all about the truth. And they understand that there's a burning desire and a hunger, a furious fire inside the belly of even their listeners to hear what President Trump has to say and to hear the truth about what is going on in America. These individuals care about their kids. They care about many of the things in America that we all care about, but they've been fed a diet of Don Lemon and so many of these other people. And finally, CNN is waking up and seeing that even their viewership desire truth. And there is no one who speaks more truth in American politics today than President Donald Trump. 
I really would like for people to point out on a more often occasion of instances where he was wrong. He's so far ahead of the narrative because <laughs> yeah. he knows what's going on. It's always that he, he's, he's been proven right. So, Ambassador, this was great sitting down with you and catching up with you again today. We're going to live link your uh, website in the show description. But for everyone that's not already following you and wants to do so on Truth Social, what's your handle? Um, Ambassador Jeffrey Ross Gunter. And, uh, I mean, the reality is you guys are carrying the torch. You guys... Without you guys and without your show and what you're doing in your program, uh, the truth does not get out as well. So congratulations to you guys. Keep up the fight. And I am sure, and you can tell by the poll numbers, how strong President Trump is looking now. America will see the light. And thanks in a large part to what you guys do to get the word out. So God bless. God bless you guys. Thank you very much for the commentary today, sir. Thank you for the compliments as well. This is the 24th ambassador during the Trump administration to the Republic of Iceland, one of our great friends. Jeffrey Ross Gunter, thanks for joining us on the show today. God bless you guys. Thank you. President Biden pushing back on questions about his age from Stephanie Rule as he bids for re-election. It's just one of the big challenges he faces now, more revealed by our brand new poll. Political director Rick Klein here to break it down. And Rick, this poll is just brutal for President Biden. Absolutely, George. And you talked earlier about that record low approval rating for President Biden. It's actually six points down just since February. And the skepticism over his leadership extends deep inside his own party. Only 36 percent of Democrats think that their party should nominate Joe Biden for a second term. Fifty eight percent say they would uh, support someone else or prefer someone else. That's despite the fact that the entire DNC and most of the Democratic establishment has rallied behind President Biden. And you're seeing real weaknesses in the coalition that powered Joe Biden to the presidency back in, in 2020. Biden carried independence by 13 points against Donald Trump. He is now trailing Trump by nine points among those same voters. He carried black voters by 75 points in 2020. Now he is up just 35. That may sound like a lot, but the fact of the matter is, in modern politics, that is not the kind of number that a Democrat needs to be victorious. And then, of course, that, that does spill over into the head-to-head matchup, the hypothetical rematch, Trump versus Biden. Right now, a seven-point edge in our poll from uh, in Trump leading Biden. And, and, and in fact, it's an identical number with Ron DeSantis in a head-to-head that might happen next November. That tells us at this very early stage, no, George, that this race is shaping up a lot more about the incumbent president, Joe Biden, than it is about any of his challengers. And Rick, as I mentioned with Senator Langford, President Trump, at least right now, appears to be strengthening his hold on the front runner, on his front runner status for the Republican nomination. Noah, how are we going to look at this here? We know we've we talked to Mark Mitchell from Rasmussen Polling, which is a pretty trusted news source as it comes to straight shooting. They don't really wait or skew the polls. They ask the real questions. And uh, remember, we, we confirmed it with him, something that we thought might be the case for a long time on this show, that poll numbers and rally attendances don't necessarily always mean votes. But when you see ABC News, the fake breakdown with George Stephanopoulos leading in with this poll right here that shows Joe Biden has collapsed in his favorability rating now at 36%. Remember, they're throwing him to the wolves. No president has ever been reelected with anything over 41%. And uh, you've been on this one for a long time, Noah. You think that uh, this is the case? They're just done with them? I mean, there's... Unless something happens and Title 42 gets extended yet again and they try to float that, I mean, I don't, they're going to have to deal with it eventually. They're not going to let it, what, how, how long do we have until the next election? Just about 17 months. 17 months? They're not going to be able to push it for 17 months unless they just, they're so sure they're going to lose. But no, they're, they're throwing Biden to the wolves. They're, they're done with him. He's not going to be their, their front runner anymore, no matter, no matter what they say.
and he's just going to be, they're just going to let him just get torn to bits. Do you think because the Republican path to reclaiming the White House is such a small one within those five or six states, 20 or so counties, less than 100,000 votes that the Democrats are just going to bank on, we could roll with this essentially weekend at Bernie's like candidate and current president for the next four years after that? Or do you think that this might lead to something bigger like a manufactured health crisis to get him out of there? I think he's going to, well... It's an interesting way to look at it, right? Yeah. I, I, just, I just don't see them putting any any effort behind him actually winning. Yeah, well, because all you have to do is count on early voting and ballot harvesting in those you know small numbers of states and even smaller numbers of counties across the United States to make sure that a Democrat reclaims the White House in 2024. Uh, we know that the Trump team is going to be putting max pressure on those places, but what, what can you say? I mean, the guy's obviously not going to campaign. There's been hit pieces come out in the last week, from places like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal that shows like Joe Biden's schedule, which basically is from 10 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, is the only places that he operates as president <laughs> of the United States. And there's he's done like less than 20 events before 10 a.m. and less than 10 events after uh, 4 p.m. the entire time he's been president, in addition to almost vacationing for 300 days so far. Well, that's when Golden Girls is on. <laughs> that's when the, uh, w- what do they call those things when the old people go out to the early bird special? <laughs> <laughs> Not going to get hooked up at Denny's if you can't get out of the office in time. And Rudy Tootie, fresh and fruity. Mm, I can only imagine him eating something <laughs> so stupid like that, too. Uh, Fox News took a look at the same polls and was talking about it on their Sunday show. Let's hear what they looked at it as. Poll finds major concerns about President Biden's health, both physical and mental. Right now, just 32 percent overall think Biden has the mental sharpness needed to serve effectively. That's down sharply from 51 percent when he was running three years ago. Mark Penn, former Clinton advisor and pollster, now CEO of Stagwell. Wonderful to have you. Just want to put call for number one here back on the board for everyone to see because the number is stark. 36 percent approval going into your reelection. Your thoughts? Well, when he drops here from 42 to 36 in approval in this poll, that's all Democrats what network is this? who are jumping Fox. ship yeah. and saying, I don't approve of the presidency he's, he's doing. And I think we've seen for a long time, look, the Harris polling showed the same thing for a long time. People question his fitness for continued office. Most Democrats didn't want him to run. But this poll has to send shockwaves. He just announced for presidency. You're supposed to go up when you announce, not down. You do this too, though, right? You do the polling. (laughs) Your your polling hasn't been this low. What what, what did they find that all of a sudden triggered this? Well, I think the, the announcement. I think the fact that he said he's running for president when when less than 40 percent of Democrats really support his reelection. That's a good point. Remember, they rushed up this announcement. It was supposed to be in July. That would have given everyone an opportunity to see how he's doing and not freeze the field. Instead, he froze the field in the Democratic Party. Everybody's got to support him now. Uh, and with numbers like this, they're they're looking at a potential Titanic at this point. Let's unless show you he this too, because then when you think about who might be the Republican nominee, President Trump obviously is the highest in the polls on that side. Biden versus Trump in 2024. Trump over him, 44 to 38 percent. Now here's the thing, Noah. For the last two years at least, since Donald Trump's been out of the White House, we've heard from so many of our reoccurring guests on the show, everyone from Boris, Ambassador Rick Grinnell, Cash Patel, Christina Bob, whose job is it as a lawyer for the Trump campaign to look at elections, Liz Harrington, Devin Nunes, you name it, they've all said it. Mm-hmm. This is like one of your big shticks too. 
The vote blue no matter who crowd. Ugh, I hate those people. But here's the deal. What are we starting to see in this latest poll, right? Where it were obviously Democrat and independent Republican moderate voters who may have sided with Joe Biden over Donald Trump in 2020 are finally seeing. What's the number they always say? 35%. Mm-hmm. Now we see this poll come out and you have this top pollster come in here to say that, listen, a lot of people within the party and those who may have voted for Biden over Trump in 2020 are now pissed that he announced his reelection campaign, uh, especially off of the poor job performance that he's been doing overall. In addition to the fact that he has no idea what he's doing whenever he does it, we'll hear about that in a second. Mm. I don't know if Joe Biden's going to be able to make it on the vote blue, no matter who crowd there is a lot of time between now and the election, even something as cataclysmic as title 42 ending in two days could still be out of the memory by well, those the time. those vote blue no matter who people like they're not even they're not even looking at like current events right. they're completely disjointed from reality in general like they, they're literally like going to their job at whatever restaurant or music store or whatever it is or their teaching job and they're just like I just show up and I just go all the way down. I just check all the D's. That's it. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's it's wild. And, you know, two of the things they mentioned is his mental and physical readiness to be able to do the job. Well, the 46th president of the United States spoke at an event yesterday that was supposed to be focused on transportation and was flanked by Mayor Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary. Let's hear how that went down. Secretary Buttigieg, thank you all for being here. Please sit down. As we approach Memorial Day this weekend, uh, and Memorial Day weekend, I'm rushing it, and a busy summer travel season, I'm here to talk about steps my administration is taking to make air travel better for all Americans. The airline industry is a key part of our economy, and they've been critical partners in a number of important initiatives from requiring employees to get COVID vaccines and addressing the supply chain problems over the last couple of years. Mm. But I know how frustrated many of you are with the service you get from your U.S. airlines, especially after you, the American taxpayer, stepped up in 2020, in the last year. Well, there was that. <laughs> Mispronounced Mayor Pete's name and then talked about Memorial Day this weekend, which, no, I think it's still at least three weeks away. He's close. I mean, for him, that's pretty good. With all the stuff going on, <laughs> the debt ceiling, the budget, the border, do we? Hey, you know what's weird? We're not talking about Russia and Ukraine at all anymore. Is that so weird? That's that's old. That's old news. Mm. Don't need that anymore. Not as old as the news that happened this weekend. So Joe Biden sat down for an exclusive, snore exclusive mm. interview with MSNBC, one on one, or you would think. You're going to hear why it's not in a second. And uh, was asked a couple questions that I think are extremely important when you look at the vernacular of the entire 2024 election field. And that's, what do you actually mean when you talk about fighting for the soul of the country? Because it seems like he's completely ruined it and caused it to rot. And then something that we're going to be talking about in our next news segment. What's going on with Hunter Biden? An indictment in Delaware. Where's Hunter? (laughs) Is more than likely to come down in the next 24 hours. Um, We're going to have 
Brian Leave joining us in just a second, and he's going to be touching on some of these things in addition to the great poll numbers that Donald Trump has been seeing. We, we heard about him so briefly. The Joe Biden poll numbers were so bad on most of the Sunday morning talk circuit this week. But let's get into this interview right here and hear what I thought were the two biggest points of it all, because all the rest was fluff and softballs. To talk about fighting for the soul of America but can we level set in terms of the soul of America right now hate crimes are on the rise random acts of gun violence women are under attack Mr. President I'll, I'll do one the answer is yes because that's why we can't let well, um, we cannot let this election be one where the same man who was president four years ago uh, becomes president again what did you hear his Obama? Sta- did you hear his staff interject in the middle of that right there? They no. didn't want her to ask a question that wasn't pre-prepared or scripted. Oh, of course, because l- look at the answer. Look at the answer you get. And that's why fucking jo- train wreck. Joe Biden stopped them and said, "No, no, I'll do it." And they were probably like, mm. "That wasn't the first time that they would uh, jump in there and and try to cut him off." But uh, I do want to play the other clip right now in regards to talking about Hunter Biden. Remember, it's the smartest man Joe Biden knows. And he loves his son because he's a good boy. But when, uh, you know, she asked about anything regarding him, you could see the absolute bias and hypocrisy of the mainstream media come out in its purest form. Let's check it out. Sir, there is something personal that's affecting you. Your son, while there's no ties to you, could be charged by your Department of Justice. No ties? That that's false. Presidency? First of all, my son's done nothing wrong. Oh. I trust him. I have faith in him. And it impacts my presidency by making me feel proud of him. <laughs> Hunter's a good boy. Damn! I, I don't know how, like, I don't know how they're going to be able to run with this after after the indictment comes down. Hopefully in the next 24 hours, uh, we're going to hear from Jim Comer, who's running the house side of the investigation on this. And, uh, you know, is really excited to see a lot of this stuff come to light. We've heard that up to... Nine people within the Biden family had received some kind of financial gains by Joe Biden whoring out his office when he was president of the United States. In addition to that, there's now wide reports of Joe Biden already working with legal teams and preparing pardons for his entire family, regardless of what the charges eventually prove. So, you know, we could see for people like General Flynn, who was completely scumbagged and did nothing wrong, uh, tripped over his own words. They, you know, construed into a lie, which wound up leading to his firing. But he won the civil case against it. We're going to see the same stuff coming down now as, uh, you know, Joe Biden's son is ready to run into a a heaping pile of shit and going to wind up dragging his entire family through this, which is pretty common when you talk about who Hunter Biden is. The guy's a degenerate, racist scumbag, like the worst person on the planet who has done nothing but become, I mean, the guy goes to family court two weeks ago and says he can't pay alimony for his child that he had with some stripper. Meanwhile, the guy selling macaroni art in New York City for $500,000 a print. And how much is his rent for his fucking beach house in Malibu or wherever the fuck it is? $20 million a month when he's not staying at the White House on the U.S. taxpayer dollars. I'm sure he's getting the economy meals there too. You think they come with Skittles on the side? Mm. Listen, Joe Biden's week was bad. Hunter Biden's week, as we get into this one, might be worse. We're going to be talking about that in a little bit as we're getting ready to jump in with Brian Lieb right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? 
You gotta try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us next on the show today, See him contributing over at Newsmax. He's also a big commentator here on Steak for Breakfast. We're really excited to have Brian Leave back on the show. Brian, how you doing? Good, man. Thanks so much for having me back on. Oh, no, it's uh, always our pleasure. Lots of busy stuff in the news cycle. We're going to touch on some stuff outside of the immediate ring today and and things that are equally important to our listenership. So right now we're just seeing the five-year anniversary of the Trump withdrawal from the JCPOA. And uh, I know this is something that you've been at the forefront of highlighting, so we wanted you to uh, catch our listenership up to this one. Sure. So, yeah, yesterday was the five-year anniversary of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, also known as the JCPOA, also known as the Iran nuclear deal. And yesterday I co-authored an op-ed with a friend of this show, Congressman Max Miller from Ohio. We love him. In yesterday's Daily Call. Yeah, Max is fantastic. Uh, and, you know, we wrote this op-ed because, you know, it, it's it's worth reflecting uh, on this day five years ago and in the campaign promise that Donald Trump made uh, and then delivered. And, uh, you know, in withdrawing from this JCPOA, the Iran nuke deal, the the U.S., I think, sent a really strong message to the moles in Tehran and, and their new best friends in Beijing and Moscow that the United States of America was going to put the interests of our national security and that of our allies ahead of you know, any kind of hopes that uh, the Iranian regime was ever going to be choosing any kind of a rational or reasonable path. And, you know, ripping up this deal sent a really strong message, too, that the U.S. was not going to sit on the sidelines any longer as Tehran sent billions of dollars out the door every year to their terrorist proxies all around the world, from Hamas to Hezbollah to Palestinian Jihad and so many more. So, yeah, this was a very important op-ed to write and, and for all of us to reflect on honestly it pains me to say but how much ground the united states of america has really lost on the world stage under president biden um and i think we really need to recommit our focus as uh, not just uh america well yeah as the american people that we've got to put the, the the interests of our national security our regional interests really ahead of uh, supporting the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism which unfortunately is what joe biden is doing still to this day yeah, and a lot of the things with Iran just kind of slip under the radar, especially with the rise of China and the prominence of Russia and their engagement with Ukraine over there in Eastern Europe. Uh, what what alarms you, and actually me as well, probably a lot of our listenership is going to be surprised to hear that within the Biden regime, Jake Sullivan has been kind of given the green light to do whatever he wants with Iran. Uh, I think one of the reasons we haven't seen a total dismantling or complete reworking of the Iran bill now, uh, a new one for like, you know, as part of the Biden doctrine is because of the war with Ukraine and the fact of the matter that everything is so bad, they can't really focus on that when the border's about to break open. But uh, Jake Sullivan's one of the co-conspirators of the entire Russiagate scandal. And, uh, you know, he, he's always been uh, just another extension of a third Obama term. Now that he's got his claws into, you know, basically green lighting uh, to do whatever he wants with Iran, what what are you seeing as negatively this could do to re-empower the number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world? 
Well, I, I'm, I'm very glad that you talked about how this is, you know, another kind of alliteration of, of the Obama administration. Jake Sullivan was in that administration that did this original JCPOA, and he was, you know, certainly part of that from day one. And he's been part of the Biden administration's path uh, and plan from day one to really re-engage in diplomacy with, with Iran. Um, and what Jake Sullivan has, has recently done um and and giving you know israel quote unquote the green light to uh to take take actions that they need to take it, it really you know a lot of people might say oh it's great you know the, the biden administration's finally aligning behind israel and and giving them the green light but I, I honestly i don't think it is because i think it sends the opposite message it sends a message that america is weak and that we are incapable of leading on the world stage. It shouldn't be up for Israel, a country of less than 10 million people, to be taking on the world's leading sponsor of terrorism. That should be the United States of America, in my opinion, that's taking on that lead role. And what Jake Sullivan's doing here is he's really just passing the buck. And and honestly, I mean, certainly I'm, I'm very pro-Israel, so maybe I'm a little biased when I say this, but... I mean, who the hell is Jake Sullivan or Joe Biden or really anyone in, in, in America, for that matter, to be telling Israel what they have to do or should be doing or shouldn't be doing, you know, to ensure the future of their country? Um, you know, it's it really just doesn't doesn't make any sense. And uh, but this is kind of like par for the course, you know, with Jake Sullivan. And, and another comment just to mention about Jake Sullivan, yeah. uh, he was speaking to a think tank uh, last week. And he actually, get this, guys, he took a victory lap saying that China brokering a peace deal between the Saudis and the Iranians was uh, a result of the U.S.'s de-escalation efforts. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, he's taking a victory lap on something that we had absolutely nothing to do with. Um, but I guess that's just kind of par for the course, like I said, for the for the Biden administration these days. Yeah, but then they'll, they'll, out of the other side of his mouth, say that China brokering Syria back into the Arab Leagues of Nations is bad, and, and China trying to broker a ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine is the worst thing that could ever happen in the history of the universe. So take it for what it is with that guy. He's always been a snake, and uh, pretty sure he'll continue to be one. Brian, I want to switch gears a little bit. It's something that we talk about a lot on this show, but over the course of the last maybe 72 hours, we've seen some surprising bowl numbers, both reflecting for Joe Biden, but increasingly good ones for former President Donald Trump as he's uh, officially on his quest to reclaim the Oval Office. As someone who uh, kind of looks at this for a living, what can you see in these poll numbers? Uh, you know, Joe Biden coming in at like 36% over the weekend, most presidents like 41% is like the absolute basement floor of what you can do heading into a reelection. Now I know we're still 17 months out from when people go to the ballot box, but it's going to be kind of hard for Joe Biden in his current status to get those numbers up too much as Donald Trump's popularity continues to rise. He's going into opposition territory this week, heading into the CNN town hall tomorrow. And then he's going to be doing a huge rally in the same state that Ron DeSantis is going to be holding a dinner in iowa on saturday night so based off the recent polling that you've seen and, and the good news for donald trump also bad news for joe biden what can you tell our listenership you know polling data and endorsements matter and there's a lot of people that are trying to spin this narrative that polling data and endorsements don't matter and i really you know can't comprehend why people would say that those two uh those two things which are the biggest barometers to a candidate's potential success don't matter um, and, you know, when you look at the endorsements that, that, that the former president has racked up, and especially here in my home state of Florida, 
uh, it really is something pretty remarkable. And I think sends a strong message to anyone that might be looking to jump into the primary. Uh, the President Trump still is the leader of the Republican Party. Uh, and and again, the polling data, which I think you, you just mentioned, really is showing that. I mean, you have polls that came out this morning from the Morning Consult, who uh, has been tracking GOP primary voters since uh, really since Trump announced he was running for re-election. Um, and as of today, May 9th, you have 60 percent of GOP primary voters are supporting Donald Trump and just 19 percent that are supporting Ron DeSantis. Now, what's interesting about this is from from January earlier this year, Trump is up from 11 percent, the gap between him and DeSantis to now over 41 percent. So, um, I mean, Trump continues to, to really just dominate in, in, in the polls. And I'll tell you who's not dominating in the polls, and that's our current president, Joe yeah. Biden. Uh, you know, you just mentioned you know, those those approval ratings. I mean, they are at all time lows, even Democratic uh, lawmakers and, and talking heads on TV. They just can't they can't comprehend why his polling is so low, which really doesn't make any sense to me, because if you're looking at what Joe Biden does on a daily basis, it's pretty easy to understand why people are not liking him and happy about what he's doing here domestically in this country and also around the world. But um, but yeah, I, I think uh, listen, I think Joe Biden, for whatever the reason, has announced, if you could call it that, <laughs> announced he's running for reelection. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think if it comes down to a Biden Trump rematch, um, you're going to see a lot of those people that maybe, you know, didn't vote for Trump last time. A lot of those independents and, uh, and Democrats, they're going to come back to the Trump team because at the end of the day, it's very easy to see what's happening, you know, here in our country and around the world. And, and I think American pe- the American people really see that. And, uh, and I think we've talked about before, I mean, you know, foreign policy typically is such a back burner issue for so many Americans. I mean, they could typically really care less about it or really even have any idea what's happening around the world. But, you know, when when America's projecting weakness at every single turn, you're seeing our adversaries really take advantage. And um, I think the American people are really seeing what that means, you know, for our country uh, a- a- as a whole. And also, I think what that means, you know, for for our wallets and for our, for our checking accounts. Yeah, I don't know what Ron DeSantis' incentive is other than money and maybe getting a little bit of national notoriety right now is to jump in the race. I was thinking like a few months ago when Donald Trump was hovering like high 30s, low 40s, like, okay, we're going to see Ron DeSantis get in probably around the holidays, right after he gets uh, inaugurated back in to serve his second term as governor. And then you'll see the polls tighten. And then it's going to be whoever wins is going to win. Obviously, we feel on this show here that Donald Trump was going to pull away. But now to the fact that he's comfortably in the 50s and finally on multiple polls, everything from ABC, CBS, to Wall Street Journal and New York Times showing him, you know, consistently beating Biden for a couple weeks now. It's like, when do you stop thinking about the primary, regardless of who gets in? If there's rumors that are true that Ron DeSantis isn't going to get in until sometime in June, I mean, you're going to see Donald Trump comfortably in the 50s, if not even higher than that, on a more consistent basis. And if the things keep going the way they do with the bad press, the Biden administration is going to start getting uh, with the end of Title 42 and his probably approval rating go down even more. It seems like it's going to be in the bag for the 45th president of the United States. Brian, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. We're going to share your most recent article with uh, Congressman Max Miller. Uh, We're going to live link your website. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can we uh, tag your handle in the show description? Yeah, it's uh, at Brian Live, L-E-I-B-F-L, and F-L standing for Florida. And just a quick note on that, you know, I'm a Florida resident. I'm a Florida voter, and I really wish that Ron DeSantis would stay 
as our governor. And that's what we elected him to do. And that's what so many people are were excited to, to reelect him to do. And I got to tell you, the sentiment down here is that a lot of people really wish he would focus on the job that we reelected him to do instead of jumping into presidential politics. Pretty much nailed it right there. You see him all the time contributing on Newsmax. Now you're hearing him consistently on Steak for Breakfast. Brian Live, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, guys. It's an honor. Thank you very much. My message to the Department of Justice is very loud and clear. Do not indict Hunter Biden before Wednesday when you have the opportunity to see the evidence that the House Oversight Committee will produce with respect to the web of LLCs, with respect to the number of adversarial countries that this family influence peddled in. This is not just about the president's son. This is about the entire Biden family, including the president of the United States. So we believe there are a whole lot of accounts that the IRS and the DOJ don't know about because we don't believe they've done a whole lot of digging in this. And we have. Uh, We've spent the past hundred days pouring over bank documents. I've used subpoena power to get these bank documents. We've been meeting with uh, former associates of the Bidens in their different influence peddling schemes. We've been meeting with whistleblowers. We know exactly uh, what this family was doing. And by all accounts from the, the media reports that we're getting, what they're looking at charging Hunter Biden on is a, is a slap on the wrist. It's a drop in the bucket. Mm. So Wednesday will be a very big day uh, for the American people in getting the facts presented to them so that they can know the truth. And then the Department of Justice can finally do what they should have done years ago. What? <laughs> Good job, bro. <laughs> Obviously, the president's sons committed many crimes, many crimes. I mean, you're, you're looking at potential money laundering. Jonathan Turley comes on Fox all the time and talks about uh, he was essentially a foreign agent for countries like China. Uh, he's an unregistered foreign agent. They, you know, those are serious crimes. You've got the possible racketeering. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And again, Maria, it's not just the president's son. And we don't believe these countries were paying the Biden family for nothing. We believe yeah. they were getting a return on their investment. And the return on the investment would have been policy decisions for then Vice President Joe Biden and current President Joe Biden. Mm. Hmm. Well... We're never too hopeful that in investigations are going to go anywhere. But as the sitting chair of the House Oversight Committee, it seems that James Comer is doing a pretty decent job of at least pulling the curtain back on the Bryden crime family and the influence peddling that they've been doing for the last essentially, what, decade and a half, uh, you know, via the office of the vice president as a private citizen when he was out of office and now again as the president. Um when you start looking into like the tax angles on it and you could, you know, proxy those with like racketeering charges and, and things like that, the mud, the waters get pretty muddy, but when you look at it, it's not like he was a businessman. It's no. not like his son was ever a real businessman either. No. He was just like, uh, we're going to put you in charge of these fucking shell companies and you're going to run this, uh, run this group and, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And name only. Meanwhile, he's just being a fucking crackhead party, party boy. Mm. Like, when you look at Donald Trump, he amassed his fortune based on business. Yep. Both decisions, good and bad, but he made his billions. Yeah, but these people that are just politicians and they just round out their family on their politicianness, just, well, I'm just going to use my influence to get you a job. It, it's, 
It's how do you not expect these people to be just completely filthy and dirty? Yeah, yeah. And when it extends out to as many as five family members as, as we've reported on the show, and as you know, James Comer kind of alluded to there, you can only think that these investigations are going to continue to hopefully bring to light and eventually convictions to you know the people who have screwed the American tax. But when you talk about policy decisions based off of influence peddling. So if the Bidens were receiving any kind of like jobs on boards or heading up these companies, in addition to influence policies that in turn would take us taxpayer dollars in ranges of the billions and, and, and give them to countries that they were doing this in. That's major stuff. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever seen stuff like that before. I mean, sweetheart backdoor deals go on all the time, but at this level, do you think we'd ever see, them actually jail somebody over this? Hmm. That's a good question. It really is. And uh, it would be uncharted waters, especially when you talk about the sitting president and his immediate family members, especially with... I mean, they're down with locking up Trump, apparently, so why not? We're we're actually going to get to that in a second. The civil lawsuit in the Trump rape allegation... I didn't even know that was still a thing. Coming from the woman that Donald Trump has clearly stated is not his type. (laughs) said the lawyer was the same way too we're going to get to that in a bit we got a couple pieces of spicy audio to end the show on today but we're going to stick in this thread so so the biden influence peddling scheme made it to fox news sunday uh they had a round table edition where piece of shit juan williams was on it so was former speaker of the house newt gingrich juan williams wanted to defend the bidens as the only liberal who sits on the panel of these you know usual round tables are and and newt gingrich took him to task i thought it was pretty good follow-up to what james comer said let's hear it we know Hunter Biden's an addict. We know he's an alcoholic. We know he's had sex addiction problems. We know he's not the son you would have. But Joe Biden has acted as a father trying to protect his son and trying to help his son. I don't think anyone's going to fault him for that. But you compare that to the graft and the grifting for Trump golf courses, Trump hotels, uh, Chinese shoe deals with the daughter, the son-in-law getting billions uh, from the Saudis. It's unbelievable. Even this week, you have to compare it to the trouble we've heard about in New York with a sexual assault case against Trump. But this is what Hunter Biden has come down to now. He is a distraction, a shield against all the trouble that Trump is is experiencing. Newt, I see you itching to respond. I mean, there are a lot of allegations about both these families are these legal business ventures. There are facts. They may be legal. There are facts. The widow of the Moscow mayor sent millions of dollars to Hunter Biden. He got money from Kazakhstan. He got money from Ukraine and served in a board about which he knew nothing. He got a lot of money from China. And it's a fact, Juan, that there were $3 million that has been disclosed that went to the Biden family from a Chinese billionaire. That is a fact. Now, you, you can decide that none of this stuff matters. No. The fact is you had the vice president of the United States taking his son on Air Force Two into China where his son was making business deals. And you just described his son. You, you, in your language, he's a sex addict. He's an alcoholic. What does he's that say? Is that an attack on, is that a, you're attacking the president? No, he's not the president. No, he's his son. Your description what I'm saying to you is that nepotism is not a crime. You look at the no, nepotism but, 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 in every president, in every famous Juan, family, but you, that's not a crime. You brought up the Trump family. So is there a double standard here? When I call out the Trump family? Well, you're saying that... When I know about... I know. I don't know about... Look, I think you have a son, uh, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who might make some business deals. Newt describes this as millions flowing to the family. Kind of a, you know, amorphous. But I know specifically of $2 billion that went to Jared Kushner. Nobody's going to argue about that. All right. My my point is, if you listen to his description of Hunter, why would anyone invest in Hunter? They were investing in Joe. That's an excellent point there. You know, the, the Trump 
family, their business is business. Jared Kushner comes from a huge mm-hmm. business family. The Kushners are big in the business world. Uh, Trump's sons, they obviously ran portions of the business while their dad was uh, running for president and took over the entire Trump family name once he was in office, and, and Eric and Donald didn't serve in any context. Uh, you know, Ivanka had to make some concessions regarding, like, her fashion line and stuff like that when she became, you know, pseudo-ambassador and, and outreach person for some of the things she was working on with places like Israel. So... The double standard is alive and well, and I really think that when you look at this whole thing and just kind of try to break it down, it's going to have to be a case-by-case basis. Where were these monies coming from? Who was the inspiration for these monies? What context were they using Hunter Biden, and how much of a connectivity tissue can you find directly to his dad's office, and what policies were being brokered on at the time up in Congress? So I think we kind of just leave it as that. We're going to wait to see about the indictment before Friday. We're obviously going to hear things from the House Oversight Committee and James Comer uh, in the meantime as then well, and, and we'll report on it in our next edition of the show. Speaking of which, wherever you're listening today, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Podbean, you name it, make sure you're subscribed to the show. It helps us out in the algorithms. We appear more uh, when, when we have more subscribers, our list of subscribers is growing every week, so we really appreciate that. In addition, across all our social medias, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, Instagram, Find Steak for Breakfast Podcast, follow the show, hit the notification bell, and anytime we've got some great stuff coming out of the show, it'll be delivered directly to you. I want to segue a little bit before we get to President Trump, and I've already mentioned we've got a uh, ruling down in that civil lawsuit rape case uh, just over the last 10 minutes here on the show. And in addition to that, we're going to be sitting down with economist, great friend, Jim Nels, in just a bit as well. Uh, it's been reported, and you can only say it's like perfect timing. Joe Biden's polling at all-time lows. Donald Trump is rising in his stock of the Republican Party as it looks like he will be the surefire nomination uh, to lead us to the ballot box in 2024. Just back from possible life-threatening injuries, at least a crack to the shell. China Mitch McConnell, you may have heard of him, Noah. Mm. His wife is the uh, infamous Coco Chow. Not yum yum. <laughs> Not yum yum. Well, hopefully we'll be sitting down with Representative Troy Nels again soon, though. We're going to ask him about that receipt. So he gave CNN an exclusive interview, and you'll never guess what he was talking about, Noah. He's worried that the GOP will not retain the Senate majority in 2024. Imagine that since he worked so hard to win us the Senate back in 2022, right? And even though a Republican pathway to claiming the Senate is almost like you have to try and not win it to not win it, Mitch McConnell thinks that, believe it or not, candidate quality and who's going to show up on the ballot is going to be a huge determining factor in that. So he doesn't want all the establishment rhinos that are going to uh, be nominated by him to be on the ballot. He's more worried about people like J.D. Vance, someone who on day one basically tells Mitch McConnell to go F himself. He doesn't want more of them on the ballot like we saw with people like him and uh, North Carolina Senator Ted Budd in 2022. Let's hear how fake news CNN broke it down, much to their delight. CNN exclusive. The Senate GOP leader, Mitch McConnell, he says that he's not confident Republicans will take back the Senate majority in 2024. Leader McConnell telling CNN's Matarashu in an exclusive candid phone interview, quote, you'll love this. We do have the possibility of screwing this up. And that gets back to candidate recruitment. I think that we lost Georgia, Arizona and New Hampshire because we didn't have competitive candidates. That would be last year, he means. This despite an obvious advantage in the upcoming election. Democrats are defending a whopping 23 seats compared to only 11 Republican-held seats. 
right here in studio with me is our chief congressional correspondent, Mano Raju. Uh, his candor is born of experience. He thought in the last couple of cycles he would get and then pad a Republican majority, and yet he is in the minority. Uh, let's just put the map up on the screen here if you look at this. Number one, the advantage for the Republicans is all 11 of those red states with Republican incumbents are Republican states in presidential elections. Is Florida potentially a swing state? Maybe. Uh, but you go through all of those states and you have Republican incumbents in what should be safe or safe-ish seats. You look at the map here. McConnell, in the interview with you, focuses on Montana, West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, where you have Democratic incumbents right now in what, in a presidential year, uh, should be tough states, right? Yeah, and it's interesting to see, hear him talk about that, because he's seeing this, despite all those states that we just saw, he's really looking at a very small map to take back the majority. In West Virginia, of course, Joe Manchin, we don't know if he's going to run again. He's very happy about getting Jim Justice, the governor there, to run there. Also, in Ohio, uh, he, uh, Sheriff Brown, is the incumbent Democratic senator. They have several candidates they are happy about. In Montana, there's hope that they could get this businessman named Tim Sheehy to run there. John Tester is the incumbent member. And they are really, really pining to get Dave McCormick, who ran and fell short in the Pennsylvania Senate race in the last primary. Now they want him to run here. But, John, in each of those states, there are very complicated primaries that could emerge and could complicate their efforts to get back the majority. So McConnell made very clear that unlike the last cycle where the Republican leaders for the most part stepped, stepped away from those primaries, they plan to engage, spend money and resources in those races to ensure that they believe they can get the most electable candidate, root out the weaker ones, but of course that's easier said than done. Especially with Donald Trump on the ballot. Now again, those numbers with inside the numbers, we talk about it all the time. 2024 senatorial election map looks like this. 23 Dem seats up for re-election. Two of those are independent now. Uh, you know, especially with Kristen Cinema going to Arizona. The Republicans only have, I have 10, they said 11, historically red. So in a presidential election, unless it's a swing state, a red state is not voting blue in terms of red. So you won't see a lot of ticket splitters with those. Um, I know at least seven of those states out of the 11, Donald Trump won the ticket in that state, both in 2016 and 2020. So we should talk about maybe a handful of seats left. He said Montana, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania. I also include Arizona and Nevada in there as well. Let's just look off the top. Noah, Montana, I can't think of a state that's predominantly less red. Big sky country. Yeah. Yellowstone country. There's a lot of people moving there that are fucking it up, though. True story. And they do highlight that on the Yellowstone show, which is coming to an end. Pretty sad about that. That's a bummer. But I, apparently they're going to go right into a sequel series with their, Kevin Costner's done and Matthew McConaughey. I know you got a good Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Come on, give me a little bit. It'd be cooler if you did. Is going to be joining us the star there. Uh, West Virginia, Jim Justice, big Trump guy. I know he's flipped parties back and forth, but it seems like him and uh, Baby Dog should be riding that right to a, a Senate victory. Ohio, in a presidential election, is definitely one of the critical states that a presidential candidate has to win. Donald Trump won it in 2016 and 20. I feel like a Senate uh, candidate out of there, especially when you talk about the high quality that we've seen with J.D. Vance since he was elected, and then Arizona and, and Nevada. Nevada's going to be weird. We know of a candidate who's looking to run. We're not ready to announce it on the show yet, but we've all but confirmed it as latest today. And then in Arizona, you already have Sheriff Lamb in a field that could get crowded in the primary with people like, well, the former candidate there, Blake Masters, and Carrie Lake jumping in as well. Um, we heard reports this week that Carrie Lake is 99% sure she's going to run for Senate in Arizona. So might be a brutal primary there. The only one I, I, I could think of, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is just a weird state. Uh, Donald Trump's either going to win it or lose it. It's going to be because he's the jobs president or not. And as far as any of the races underneath goes, they're coin flips. I mean, my opinion, unless you have a Senate 
candidate with the quality of Sean Parnell, who had to back out of the race in the midterms because of some family-related issues going on. Dave McCormick's not it. I like him. I like that he, you know, was a Trump loyalist. I like the fact that, you know, he was a, a serviceman for a large portion of his career as well. But here's the thing. If it didn't resonate with the Republican base in the primary last time and Dr. Oz was able to beat him, albeit by an extremely small margin, Dave McCormick's not going to be the guy to win a statewide election and claim a Senate seat for the Republicans in 2024. So we do got a little soul searching to go on there. They also blame Georgia. You guys can say whatever you want about Herschel Walker. We've had so many people on the show, especially House Camp. De- I mean, Devin Nunes was in Congress for a long time, and he said they had courted Herschel Walker for a numerous amount of positions, everything from governor to a House seat and then finally a senator in 2022. So Mitch McConnell can take it or leave it, but we know Republicans within the party had wanted Herschel to run for a long time. So over the last hour or so, we've seen a, a ruling come down in the Donald Trump rape civil lawsuit, right? And... uh Donald Trump was found liable and is going to need to pay $5 million in restitution to the, I don't know, complainant. Donald Trump issued a truth over just the last few seconds from his official true social account. I'm going to read it now. All caps. I have absolutely no idea who this woman is. The verdict (laughs) is a disgrace, a continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. End quote. Noah, what do you think? It looks like this is my lucky day. I'll take the rapists for 200. Almost as much of a joke <laughs> as is the actual verdict in the case. Yeah, ridiculous. Wait, so some rando just said that he said that he did something to her and then they found him liable but not guilty? Yep. The jury, what does liable mean? The jury unanimously concluded that Donald Trump sexually abused and defamed Carol's character. So again, this is just another extortion where some woman off the street said Carol like Baskin? Exactly. <laughs> Like, I was going to the bathroom at this party at a gala back in, like, you know, 1995. Donald Trump walked past me, gave me a second look, pushed me in the bathroom, tried to kiss me, grabbed my boob, and that's it. L- like, literally, that's what anybody could say, and this is where it ends up. That- <laughs> wow. So I-, I know you guys have all seen by now large portions of the deposition that Donald Trump gave during this case back in 2022. I did polls. We're getting ready to... Uh, conclude here on the show and jump in with economist Jim Nels in just a second. Um, probably what I thought the spiciest piece of that disposition was, it was, uh, there were some bangers, but, but there was one that stood out to me uh, more than all the others. Let's hear it. You say, and again, this has become very famous in this video, I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet, just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. You can do anything. That's what you said, correct? Well, historically, that's true with stars. <laughs> it's true with stars that, that they can grab women by the pussy? Well, that's what it's. If you look over the last million years, I guess that's been largely true. Not always, but millions largely and millions of years. true. Mm. Unfortunately or fortunately. Or fortunately. And you consider yourself uh, to be a star? I think you can say that, yeah. And. <laughs> He's always the same. He's never different. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, just just another little taste of that. I got another quick banger here. He talked about the attractiveness level of the person that was making the oh, allegations this in this case. Which is just a continuation of the largest hit job in the history of mankind. But uh, let's hear him. When you said in that video that Ms. Leeds would not be your first choice, you were referring to her physical looks, correct? Just the overall. Not my, I, I look at her. I see her. I 
hear what she says, whatever. You wouldn't be a choice of mine either, to be Ooh. honest with you. I hope you're not insulted. Zing. I would not, under any circumstances, have any interest in you. I'm, being, I'm honest when I say it. Uh, she, I would not have any interest in. What was, did they show her face when he was saying that or they, they, were, they kept it locked on him? Noah, I've got it even better. <laughs> you, I know, have not heard this. Probably a lot of our listenership hasn't. When I find like obscure tweets on the internet, I immediately save them and don't share them so nobody else can hear it so you can get an organic taste of what's going on <laughs> in our show. Now, listen, here's the thing. What's going on with Donald Trump and whatever happened with that case is all bad and all disgusting. They continue to ruin this man and his family at the behest of just putting stuff out. So this disposition was leaked over a month ago and now has completely tainted the waters. You think in this digital age that like the jurors are going to be completely shelled from anything that's going on. If they want to dump this stuff out on the internet and use it against Donald Trump, we're going to just throw it right back in their face and say, like, guess what? You're getting the same exact person you see on TV in real life and in these depositions that you get every single day with Donald Trump. There's no difference. There's no acting. There's no fakeness to him. And in our last audio clip of the day, and right before we jump in with Jim Nels, this lawyer who's running the hit job was recently at a book signing. And after a brief meet and greet to hear all about the book. They opened it up for Q and a some absolute fucking Chad in the audience <laughs> got the code hook, but it wasn't before he asked this absolute heater. Let's hear it. Anybody wants to go ahead and get up, ask a question. That's fine. Thank you. So you're at the Trump, the position of Donald Trump. He basically called you unfuckable. Oh, come on. What are your thoughts on that? You Anyone else? <laughs> He called you unfuckable. <laughs> Have you seen what this lady looks like? You need to leave. No. She looks exactly like Chris Christie with a wig on. That's gross. Yeah. Probably a Roy Rogers enthusiast. Mm. Listen, it's been a busy day. It's been a busy weekend of news. Absolutely tried to pack as much as we can in for you today. And as we're getting ready to wrap with Jim Nels, we're really excited to sit down with him. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you're in a promo code stake here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, you can, you can see him contributing at everywhere from Fox News to America Greatness and, of course, the National Pulse. We love when he comes and commentates on Steak for Breakfast. Mr. Jim Nels, thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys, how are you today? Oh, we're doing great. How's everything been going with you, sir? You've had a busy couple weeks right here uh, leading up into joining us on the show. Why don't you let our listenership know what you've had going on? Things have been great. I got to go out to uh, New York and do some live TV and radio, which was pretty amazing. And then most importantly, uh, my son graduated from the University of Michigan last week. Nice. So uh, with honors and two degrees. So I'm Oof. very proud of him. And the thing I'm most proud of is that he made it through four years at the People's Republic of Ann Arbor without <laughs> getting woke. So he stayed true to his beliefs through four years there and even got his uh, 
his uh, fraternity brothers to change the registration, the voter registration to Michigan so they could vote in local elections and try to swing things. So nice. pretty nice. proud of the kid. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for, for making it through this, the school institutions without becoming completely brain dead. <laughs> you, you know, what I was going to say is that we call you a lot of things on the show, Jim. We call you even more things off the air. But the one thing we can call you now is an awesome dad for that accomplishment there. So congrats to you and your son. And uh, listen, you've been absolutely busy. I've seen you on Fox News. I've seen you on Stinchfield, OAN. You've been cruising around everywhere, pumping out articles. You're doing work at the Daily Wire. You've gotten stuff published everywhere recently. And uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about today Believe it or not, it's like the weirdest of all the news topics. It's the Texas Allen mall shooter that happened over the weekend. Um, seemed pretty standard for what an active shooter situation might be. But then when you start to deconstruct it, everything from the tattoos to the social media, it the we're getting a completely different story than anything you might suspect. When you're checking this out right now, what could you tell our listenership about what you're getting out of it? Well, this is crazy, right? So apparently this man is the world's first Hispanic white nationalist. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's pretty special that you can straddle those lines there because I don't know a lot of white nationalists who invite Hispanics to their, to their, uh, you know, their club meetings. But uh, it, it's very interesting. Uh, yesterday, actually, on, on Steve Bannon, he had Laura Logan on, and she was describing some of the tattoos this person had mm -hmm. that affiliated him with uh, prison gangs in Texas that are closely related to the cartels down there. So who knows? But... You know, the sad part is, and I've, I've got an article pending on this right now, is that, you know, this is another example of a mass shooting that took place in a gun-free zone. Yep. Where, where the only person who could walk in there legally with a gun was a law enforcement agent, and that's what it took. But imagine if that person hadn't been there responding to something else, and it would have taken 5, 10, 15 minutes for the police to show up at this mall. This person could have gone through there and killed literally tens, maybe even 100 people, given the way that he was loaded um with with weapons and multiple multiple um clips of ammunition so you know one of the things that i'm saying everyone's calling for new gun laws right now and you know what i'm saying yeah we need two new gun laws first and foremost we need to repeal gun-free zones yep you should be able to conceal carry if you are licensed in any gun-free zone and that's going to make criminals think twice the other thing that we need to do when it comes to common sense gun laws is we need a concealed carry license to be transferable to every state in the union. Mm. If I can drive in any state in the union with my Illinois driver's license, then I should be able to take my concealed carry from Illinois to Rhode Island to New York. As long as I'm trained and I'm fully licensed, there's no reason why we can't do that. If we did those two things, the number of Americans dying from this would be greatly reduced. Yeah, you shouldn't have yeah. to drive cross-country and... and try to figure out your route and like, do I have to put my gun in the trunk for this 15 minutes or not? <laughs> oh, it's an excellent exactly. point. And it's, it's a big problem in this, uh, in the country that we're facing right now, you know, the, the Democrats and, and the moderates and the Republican side are, are all out there virtue signaling about how, you know, the gun is the problem. And, and if we eliminate these guns, uh, we will completely solve all mass shootings. Now, Jim, I've heard you commentate and probably write up on other shows. There's been long-standing evidence, especially during the gun ban that we saw for about 10 years, where uh, assault rifles, weapons of war, really didn't contribute to the overall mass shooting numbers, and, and it was actually some of the lowest demographic there. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, these a when, when people call AR-15 a weapon <laughs> of war, no trained military person would ever carry an AR-15 into battle. You're not going to carry a semi-automatic weapon into battle of any of any sort. But uh, the FBI has some statistics going back to 2020. In 2020, 59% of gun murders 
were um, done with handguns. Rifles, the, in, the entire category of rifles, which does include you know, so-called assault weapons, were used in only 3% yep. of firearm murders. So guys, based on the statistics in 2020 of all the murders that were committed with a long gun, 408 people died that year from long guns, including AR-15 style of weapons. You have a greater chance of dying, falling out of bed, being eaten by a hippopotamus, or dying in a volcanic eruption than you do of being killed by a long gun in the United States. <laughs> yeah, and assault rifles are a, a really big misnomer because, like he said, said, semi-automatic rifles are not assault rifles by definition. Because They're not weapons of war either. Yeah, it's idiotic. <laughs> well, I mean, guys, isn't any weapon used to carry out an assault by definition an assault weapon? I mean, a hammer, a, mm -hmm. a two-by-four, mm -hmm. my shoe... If you assault somebody with it, whatever you use should be an assault weapon, right? So, but it's it's ridiculous, and you know you saw now coming out of the uh, the, this, the shooting in Allen, Texas, um, someone that I always turn to when I want to see what the government should do. The Dallas Mavericks Twitter account mm. is calling for uh, new gun laws, and um, you know, so I think that we should all see what Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks want us to do, and just follow by that. Mm -hmm. Ron, do you have your assault slippers on today? Your your slippers of war. Use the code uh, stake for. Big, big savings. I, I know George Bush wanted to get them banned in Iraq when a guy <laughs> reported through a couple of them. So, Mike Lindell, the greatest distributor of slippers of war ever <laughs> in humanity. Use promo code stake at checkout so, for big, big savings. It's been blowing up lately. We're going to get a nasty gram for that one probably. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, Jim, you know, I, I really think, like, not much is going to come of this, but what is it with Texas right now that's kind of popping off? You know, we saw this mall shooting, then obviously we had uh, the guy with a criminal record longer than the Bible who ran over a half dozen migrants the other day at a bus stop. It's so hot there. It looks like it was unintentional. The guy was probably all drugged out based off of, you know, the way he looked after the accident. And then in his court appearance, he looked even grumpier. And, and then, you know, you had just two weeks ago, you had the uh, guy who was previously removed from the United States at least four times. We all know it's more. He was living in a neighborhood that is most known by law enforcement to be a neighborhood that's inhabited in the United States, in Texas, on this side of the fence, by nothing but illegals. They manufacture either fake social security numbers or even like uh, business IDs by being able to work at flea markets to use that as proof that they can rent in the United States. Then they move into these little colonies along the border and they kind of just exist there. And, and this guy who was illegal was shooting out in his backyard. He, he had some uh, of his neighbors come out and say like, hey, it's almost midnight. Can we not do this anymore? And then he went over to their house and, and you know, killed a whole bunch of them, five people, including two children. And, and, you know, we find out that the whole family that got killed was illegal aliens too. Also legally living illegally in the United States. What's going on down there now? You know, it seems like Greg Abbott's got his hands full and we see title 42 getting ready to expire in about 48 hours here. And, uh, things are going to get a whole lot worse in the Lone Star state. I, I tell you what, there are, there are times where I don't know whether I want to love or hate Greg Abbott. Cause <laughs> there, there are times where he says a lot of really good things. Yeah. And then when it comes to actually the actions, um, they don't really follow through that much. You know, it, it boggles my mind that law enforcement knows of these, I'll, I'll call them a colony of illegal aliens living in the United States, and ICE doesn't show up there to do anything about it because of the Biden administration's policies. It's absolutely ridiculous. And now look what happened. We had that instance where, as you said, someone who's been deported at least four times, probably more, was legally prohibited from owning any sort of firearm in the United States. So there go those gun laws that we've been talking about. Goes and kills a family of five because he's pissed off that they wanted him to stop shooting their gun. Um, the, sad, the One of the really sad parts of this story is 
two of the women that were killed were found laying on top of live children. Yeah. So they basically threw themselves over the children and died in order to have those, those children live. So kudos to them for doing that. But this goes back to if we don't change our immigration policy, if we don't enforce the laws that are in place, putting other laws in place is just going to add to the list of laws. It's not going to do a, a darn thing for anybody. And it's just going to continue to get worse on Thursday once uh, 48 goes away and we just basically are helping people cross the border. I, I'm surprised we haven't move Staten Island ferries down to the Rio Grande to shuttle people across faster. Well, I think I agree with you on Greg Abbott. I think that's the biggest point here. We've always kind of looked at him as like, it gets to the point to where we know Donald Trump is like literally writing the truth to slam Greg Abbott and then Greg Abbott acts. And then Donald Trump kind of lays off of him and says he's doing a great job. And then it gets so bad again that you know Donald Trump's probably going to say something negative about him and then he acts. I do like the fact that he said he's rented out hundreds of buses and is mobilizing up to 10,000 Texas National Guardsmen to be driving all of these illegals to some of our most famous sanctuary cities throughout the country, Chicago, New York, Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. And he's also going to be busing a whole bunch over to us here in the great state of California as well because we all know how good Greg Abbott and Gavin Newsom get along. But I did, I did, I did want to touch with you on one other thing, Jim. It's kind of big. Uh, it's definitely contributing to our overall national security on an international level and uh, something that's going under the radar because of all the crazy shit that's been happening. And that's the trans recruiter that the Navy has hired to uh, dance his way to higher recruiting numbers. Mm. You know, we, we covered extensively uh, General Milley and Lloyd Austin's testimony up on Capitol Hill last month where they were in front of uh, congressional Republicans and Matt Gates specifically asked Lloyd Austin on several occasions and Lloyd Austin said, no funding from the federal government is going to trans anything. Story time, uh, shit with kids, and now probably this recruiting. What can you tell us about this and uh, how awful is, is this in a way to try and entice people to join the greatest fighting force in the history of the world? I've got an article coming about this in the Washington Examiner, uh, should be out tomorrow, but you know, you look at it, let's go back to General Milley, who wants to understand his white rage and wants the military to be more woke so they can understand things. At West Point, the, the U.S. Military Academy, they teach a course that is focused on critical race theory. Now, I don't know why you need to know about critical race theory to go across the ocean and kill people and destroy their things, but apparently you need to understand your enemy better now and have empathy for them before you shoot them in the head. Now let's look at what's happening. So right now, no one wants to join the military. Who typically joins the military? They are typically from the South. Yep. They come from families that have a tradition of military service. They are typically poor and typically undereducated. So when they start seeing these things about all the wokeness that's going on in the military, they're not doing it. The Army and Air Force are going to miss their goal by 10,000 each this year. The Navy's going to be short by 6,000 sailors this year. Oof. But the Navy has a plan. Let's get a drag queen, someone known as Harpy Daniels. I'm wondering if he's related to Stormy, by the way. Mm. Um, um, but the person's name is Joshua Kelly. The stage name is Harpy Daniels. Uh, Mr. Kelly, Miss Kelly, whatever, does, identifies as non-binary. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what that is. But it, here's the thing. I'm a proud Navy veteran. I loved the time that I spent in the military. Not once when we were sitting around in the middle of the ocean uh, you know, waiting to fight the enemy or just waiting for time to pass. Did we ever say, boy, you know what we really, really need? We need some drag queens to help us get better people to join the military because if only we could recruit from those folks who are motivated by drag queens, we would have the ultimate fighting force. It's 
absolutely insane. And I'm going to go with what my good friend Rob O'Neill said about this. He said, and I quote, China is going to destroy us. I can't believe I fought for this BS. It's, it's insane. The whole political apparatus and the military apparatus is absolutely insane. Thank you for the bell. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I'm, ash- I'm ashamed of what we're doing. The job of the military is to hunt down the enemy and destroy them and kill them and break their things. It's mm-hmm. not to be woke. It's not to be inclusive. The military is not a social experiment. It is designed to be a machine of destruction. And if it's not that, then we have no chance against the enemies that we have, such as Russia and China. Yeah, if our, if our military is not going to focus on lethality, then I guess, you know, what colored pumps is a good second. There you go. <laughs> How dare you? Don't break a nail. <laughs> no, it's it, it's wild. And, 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 you know, to see where we're at, I think with the recruitment numbers going down, just in my brain, I was thinking about this. I was trying to, like, deconstruct it the other day. I said, what's the in here? This Like, at the ground level boot camp, like, people are not going to be enticed by trannies to be a tranny and join the military. You don't, you don't want to stock the recruiting stations with trannies again. How dare you? But, but what about when they start promoting these people that are getting into the military and, and using it as a bridge to compete their, to complete their transition and then moving up to the officer level and getting into the administrative level. And then you have people that like actually are running our day-to-day logistics having to do with, you know, domestic and international safety and security, being people that if you don't say their pronouns right they're going to sue the shit out of you and boot you out of the military it's just absolutely crazy to me and i can't believe that this is the path we're going down right now it's ma'am how dare you <laughs> no i i agree with you and you know the, the sad fact is there are a number of uh transgender folks who have made it up in the ranks in the military there are, there are a couple of flag officers that are that are uh, transsexual people and um they're very vocal about what they believe the military should be. And it's not to be the world's most elite fighting force. It's to be the most equitable fighting force so that everyone feels comfortable. And this is something else that, that really I think has lost the way of of the military is that, you know, the military was never supposed to be about individualism or individual happiness. It was about the cohesion of the unit. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're gay and you want to be in the military, God bless you. If you want to get shot, God bless you. If you're a woman wants to serve on the front lines, God bless you. Even if you're transsexual, as long as you're not using the military to pay for your transition, I don't think people would really care. But what we can't have is changing the rules and making it so hard that the folks whose job it is to fight and, and kill the enemy is more worried about, do I call this officer ma'am, sir, or she, he, zai, guy, pie? And you know, it, it, it's it's a shame that we're putting these folks in that in that situation, and that's why my pronouns are just bad and ass. There you go, <laughs> and you're always one of those when you come on our show, Jim. Listen, we're gonna live link last couple of your latest articles in our show description today. But for everyone that's not following you and, and needs to start on social media, what's your handles? Uh, best one is Twitter at Jim six five five five. Columnist, economist, supply chain expert, great friend of the show, Jim Nels. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, gentlemen. Have a great day. Not a bad way to start the week. What do you think, Noah? Not bad at all. Should be a lot better start to the week for us than it will be for the entire country in the next 48 hours. Not bad, not bad, not bad. <laughs> I like it. If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and want to hear the now over 236 other editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. This has been episode 237 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back with episode 238 on Friday. 
two congressmen, Representative George Sandoz and Representative Corey Mills will be joining us. Also, former Treasury Secretary Dave Bernhardt will be sitting down with us for the first time. And we'll have Liz Harrington on to absolutely dunk on all things Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis. On behalf of the podcast team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week and take care. Hey man, he's car. You know Wooderson? Oh. How's it going, man? Hey. Pretty good. How's it going with you? Say, man, you got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> Let me tell you what Melbourne Post is packing right here. All right, we've got 411 Posi Track Outback, 750 Double Pumper, Edelbrock Intakes, Ford Over 30, 11 to 1 Pop Up Pistons, Turbo Jet, 390 horsepower. We're talking some fucking muscle. Hey, man, I know you got this thing.